2: Hey everybody, welcome into another episode of the Can We Please Talk Podcast. I am Mike Leon. And I'm Nick Severi. On a program today, hey, who's got primary fever? Nick, you got primary fever? Absolutely, man. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever said that sentence before. Nick and I, I, they, I the, they should. We talk about should. this all the time, Mike. Right? I like agree.
3: vote. It's not just about we talk about this all the time, I swear to you. It's That's not right. just the presidential election, folks. It's not even the elections in November. It's these elections here that decide who runs in November. That's So right.
2: I, I am all down for primary fever. Well, Nick and I, with the latest on some of the primaries happening around the country that took place last week, Oregon, Kentucky, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, some of the candidates who won and lost, we're going to hear some sound bites because somebody on this program is a PA resident and voted in the primary. Speaking of voting later on in the program, Aaron Hamlin, he's the executive director over at the Center for Election Science. He's going to join us to discuss all the work they are doing. To improve the voting methods in this country, it's a must listen to all the work that election, the Center for Election Science is doing. You can check them out at electionscience.org. And finally, in our last segment, it's our newest game on the pod, some fresh hot takes incoming. More on that later on in our last segment. First, I say hello to the dashing Nick Saveri, fresh off his athletic greens. You know, we read those spots, but you, you've actually been drinking the athletic greens. Looking good, my friend. How's everything going?
3: Thank you so much. Yeah. No, we talk about this. I mean, we do for the ad read, obviously, but uh I feel fantastic, man. You know, it talks about gut health when we do the read. Um, it's a real thing. Like you just feel better. Anyway, I don't I don't need to rehash what we talk about on the ad. But seriously, (laughs) folks, you know, get it. I, I ordered it through our show notes as we do, got all the cool stuff that came with it. So I feel fantastic. It is you know, we're in the midst of summer here. It's been two eighty plus degree days. It's just hot in PA. Um, just yeah. So between just trying to stay healthy, stay hydrated, just you know, that's where we at we're at right now.
2: Yeah. Well, listen. Uh, I am doing good. Speaking of hot, it's 90 degrees here in in Miami. I don't think it's ever moved away from 90 degrees. Uh, I've gotten texts from friends that are like, stop texting me that it's 90 degrees down here. I'm like, you know, it is pretty hot. It is a complaint. Uh, (laughs) I would love a a nice, cool breeze, uh, 65, 70 degree day, but uh, worse things could be happening. Let's get into our first segment because I mentioned primary fever last week. If you're watching any of the major news networks out there, uh, they were covering all of the primaries that are happening now in the summer as as Congress now is slowly people that are up for reelection are starting to go back and campaign. Uh, you having primaries for Republicans and Democrats in different states that are taking place in a bunch of different states. Last week, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Kentucky, Idaho and Oregon all had primaries uh, for House of Representatives, senators and even governors uh, seats that are happening. Let's take you into some of the ones that we've been watching because obviously Nick is a Pennsylvania, uh, not native, uh, currently living in Pennsylvania. And then obviously uh, everyone hates Madison Cawthorn. So we're going to talk about how he lost uh, his seat and he will no longer be a House of Representative member. First, I want to mention in Pennsylvania, if you don't know by now, uh, obviously that has been a closely watched state. Republican Senator Pat Toomey is retiring at the end of his term. And so the Republican side for the GOP candidate, one is backed by President Trump, you know, Dr. Mehmet Oz from the famous Oz show that has appeared across a bunch of different uh, television networks. Him and David McCormick were locked in a tight battle for the nomination. Uh, Kathy Barnett was also another person that was a part of that mix. I think as of right now, it's still too close to call. There's less than a 0.5% margin of victory. And if there is, Um, there will be an automatic recount in the state. Um, And Dr. Oz said on late Tuesday of last week, when it's this close, what do you expect? Everything about this campaign has been tight. On the Democratic side, however, uh, obviously Lieutenant Governor currently right now, John Fetterman has won the Democratic nomination. He bested U.S. Representative Connor Lamb and State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta. Uh, Fetterman obviously was backed by Bernie Sanders in 2016, if you don't know him. And he recently suffered a a stroke caused by a clot that happened last week. He is okay right now and expected to make a full recovery, but that happened last week. Uh, now, this is big for you, Nick, because you live in Pennsylvania. We mentioned this a, a couple of times, the governor's race that's happening there, right? There's two big candidates right now because Democratic Governor Tom Wolfe is term limited and the Democrats have all united behind the current state attorney general, Josh Shapiro. He ran uncontested on their primary ballot. But on the Republican side, here's the problem. Doug Mastriano has won the the Republican nomination, excuse me, and he will run uh, against Josh Shapiro in November for governorship. If you don't know about Doug Mastriano, let's tell you a little bit about him because established Republicans, establishment Republicans, excuse me, have worried that the far right Trump backed state senator couldn't win a general election. He's defeated several challengers in the state and now he has won the nomination uh, on the Republican side. Take a listen to old Dougie boy here, uh, Nick, because this man could be the next governor of the state of Pennsylvania. Take a listen to
0: this. So our number one goal is first is to restore freedom, right? So on day one, any mandates are gone. Yep. Yep. On day one, any jab for job requirements are gone. On day one I'll be happy to reinstate any uh, National Guard member or Air Guard member that was kicked out because of the jab for job requirement. Yeah. On day one school transparency will be ordered. I mean there's so much here. On day one CRT is over. Like, like the media and the left lectured us over the past years, follow the science. We're going to exactly do that and follow the science, right?
2: <laughs> uh, there's a bunch there. <laughs> we're going to get to that in a sec, Nick. I'm going I'm to let you get to that in a second. But so that man uh, has won the Republican nomination. He's going to be going up against Josh Shapiro, like I mentioned, in Pennsylvania. Real quick on the other states and big races that were being watched, obviously, in the primaries uh, in the Kentucky Senate. Rand Paul will win again the Republican nomination for his seat. He's going up against Charles Booker, who's a progressive candidate who ran for the Democratic nomination against Mitch McConnell back in 2020. So look out for that one because Rand Paul's term is up. In North Carolina, the big news that came out of North Carolina is that Chuck Edwards has won, defeating the incumbent freshman Republican uh, representative, excuse me, and he's also a Republican, Madison Cawthorn. Uh, A lot of people obviously have been vocal in their disapproval of Cawthorn, including uh, Republican Senator Tom Thillis. Uh, A lot of people, only a person that really backed Madison Cawthorn throughout this was former President Donald Trump. Uh, But Thillis backed Edwards, a state senator in the primary, saying, unfortunately, Madison Cawthorn has fallen well short of the most basic standards Western North Carolina expects from their representatives. And voters now have several well-qualified candidates to choose from who would be a significant improvement. Listen, Madison Cawthon has had a bunch of scandals ongoing as he's been a sitting member of Congress from calling Ukrainian president, president, excuse me, Vladimir Zelensky a thug. He got caught uh, driving with a revoked license. He brought a loaded handgun into a Charlotte airport recently. And then obviously, you know what he alleged all uh, Republicans do in terms of orgies that happened from senators and sitting members uh, in the House. So those are some of the races that we were covering uh, that we've been looking at, obviously, uh, on this show. Nick, a couple of things that stand out to you there. Obviously, you're in Pennsylvania, so give me some of your takeaways on the Pennsylvania race. And then, obviously, Rand Paul uh, and what he'll be going up against in the fall, and then Madison Cawthorn no longer being a House of Representative member once November hits.
3: Yeah. I mean, oh, you mentioned Cawthorn. I guess we'll start there. Um, Chicken ho- home, the roost sounds like you know this this clown, uh, and I'm going to be using that word a lot, folks. Here for some of these Republican candidates, um, Cawthorn was an embarrassment, not just as a Republican but as a member of Congress. Uh, and the party walked away from him. Now, there's a whole conversation about are the allegations he made about some of these quote unquote parties um, the reason that Republicans kind of you know basically shied away from him. Regardless, he lost. He came close. Granted, uh, in that primary, but he is no longer—he's out. Uh, so now they, North Carolina will be trying to put up another candidate. Obviously, um, for the Democrats, they had basically they had someone just basically just run roughshod through. So it'll be an interesting race. Uh, it Doesn't seem to be a given. And I, I also have spent a fair amount of time in North Carolina um, when my wife was doing fellowship there, and it's a state that can that can lean either way. Uh, where we currently live in Pennsylvania. Yeah, as I'm looking through um, Doug Mastrano's uh, website, uh, and even the talking points he made that Mike just played a clip earlier of, uh, things like CRT is is a buzzword by Republicans. They have yet to ever show proof that actually lives in the in-state mandated curriculum. Um, so whenever you hear someone talk about critical race theory, you should simply just stop them and say, can you show me from any textbook, any curriculum series whatsoever where this exists? It's very telling that a lot of moderate Republicans in the party are nervous now that this mo- that this bozo is the candidate. But come get your people, Republican Party. That's what you just put up there in Pennsylvania. And Josh Shapiro, it's not a cakewalk. I mean, obviously, you know cities like Philadelphia, likely Pittsburgh, you know here in Easton, Bethlehem, you know other towns in the, in the Lehigh Valley will very likely lean toward uh, Shapiro, but it's, it's going to be a close race, obviously. So it'll be really interesting to see what's on the docket. Uh, it is funny to hear a Republican talk about not taking mandates. I am very curious. Does Mastrano have that same energy when it comes to the pro-life movement? Because it seems like his party seems to be very comfortable with that particular mandate, but not so much about, as he puts it, jabs for jobs. Uh, it was a very telling Tuesday. Mike. I'll be honest, aside from Mistrano, I think what we saw was it seemed like a moderate wing of the GOP is trying to reassert itself, recognizing that the Trump side of the party has gone a bit to the extreme. The funny thing about Pennsylvania is mement Oz uh, another bozo um, and the other Republican candidate. There's a three-way tie, obviously. That's what you tie. But that third person you mentioned is basically causing a ticket split. And this is the thing is what Republicans have been concerned about is that these Trump back candidates, and you can't trust Trump ever, so no shocker. <laughs> you know, he backs Oz, also backs this woman, and meanwhile, you have another candidate in McCormick who's just right in the middle of this. So we're going to see over the next couple of days when that vote gets split out. Either of them, or any of the, well, it's I mean, the third person coming is not going to win this. Um, but if it's Oz or McCormick, either one of them goes up against a person who I think is currently the GOP's nightmare and that's, of course, John Fetterman. Uh, full disclosure, I actually was more of a fan of Conor Lamb. Um, I liked just what he was all about as a member of Congress, but Fetterman brings a very different energy that the Democratic Party, I think, is looking desperately for. Fetterman is very much not a quite a Bernie Sanders-like candidate, but definitely runs in that left circle, but really comes off as just a moderate, very down-home kind of kind of dude. Um, with some controversy, which the mainstream media is going to certainly talk about, uh, involving an incident and involving an incident involving a gun and a black and a black man, um, but Fetterman is not the kind of Democrat that I think Republicans are ready to to go up against. Uh, Fetterman's well liked in, in the state of Pennsylvania, has a
2: really good chance of taking a Senate seat. Yeah, you talk about the the Fetterman uh, controversy that happened back in 2013 when he pulled a gun on. On a jogger at the time, a, a black unarmed jogger, uh, he was getting criticized all over the place from some of the people that were running in that race, obviously, Kenyatta and, and Connor Lamb. Two other states I wanted to mention, Idaho and Oregon that we talked about at the beginning. Brad Little will win the, well, he already won the Republican primary, fending off a, a challenge from Lieutenant Governor Janice McGeechan. I think is how you say her last name. Listen, if you don't know who Janice McGeechan is, I'm telling you right now. Type her into YouTube, Twitter, whatever search engine you use, type her in there and listen to her talk to a an Idaho a statesman. I believe the local paper up there uh, on the record, she was doing an interview with this guy for five minutes. She has she is way to the right of anybody. I mean, she's off a cliff. That's how far right she is. She falsely claimed that the 2020 election was stolen. Um, so obviously she's not going to be uh, the GOP, a candidate there, Brad Little has already won the Republican primary. Um, one thing I did want to mention is upcoming primary elections. Nick mentioned at the beginning of the show at the intro, Th- these are important right now. If you're a registered Republican or a Democrat, exercise your right to vote, exercise your right to vote. Let's say that again, uh, in a bunch of States coming up, uh, in, in the next calendar week, if you're listening to this podcast on, on the week of May 24th, Alabama, Arkansas, and Georgia are having their primaries. Uh, obviously, there's a big one there because of Marjorie Taylor Greene's seat coming back up. Uh, in June, you got California, Iowa, uh, Mississippi, Montana, New Jersey, New Mexico, and San Diego have their primary voting. And there's a bunch of seats open uh, on the Democratic and Republican side in a few of those states. Uh, and then later on in June, we get more of the states you know, from Maine, Nevada south carolina virginia colorado uh, new york utah oklahoma illinois and then we get later on into august before we actually get to that super tuesday in november in the midterms here and we'll find out which branch excuse me which party controls uh the house and the senate And, and obviously and key governor races that are happening too there's one happening here in my state in florida as governor ron DeSantis. Is up for re-election. More on primary coverage uh, later on in the coming months. We're going to have some people on from some of the different states, candidates that are running uh, against uh, incumbents right now. So we're going to have a bunch of that coverage as we go into the summer months with people coming on the program and journalists that are covering these races. Uh, When we come back after the break, speaking of voting and exercising your right to vote, Aaron Hamlin, he's the executive director over at the Center for Election Science. I encourage everybody right now electionscience.org. Check out the work that they're doing. Aaron's going to explain all of that voting methods. Why the voting methods in this country? Why the system is broken? Aaron, when we come back after the break. The presenting sponsor of this episode of Can We Please Talk is Athletic Greens. Nick, athleticgreens.com. Now, come on. Everybody knows you've talked about it on the show, how good it is, how it's helped you You're looking lean, mean for the people watching on YouTube. Tell them about how Athletic Greens has been helping you.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm now about, I think, a little a week and a half into my subscription. So it comes in great packaging, by the way. The colors, the logo, they they get this right. Um, In addition to that, I got, Mike's going to probably talk about this in a moment, but travel packs. You know, it's easy Mm -hmm. enough to get the bag, but the bag is what I'll talk about here. Got a great bag, it's about 30 days supply, one scoop, 12 ounces of water, shake it up in the bottle that they'll provide you, and you will feel fantastic. I'm at a point now where I don't start my day without it, and they recommend starting on an empty stomach. So as soon as I get downstairs, while the coffee water's brewing, and you know how I feel about coffee. We do. I'm pounding my athletic greens, feeling supercharged, coffee just gets me straight, and I'm, I'm good to start my day. I can't I can't start my day without it, like
2: Nick loves Athletic Greens. We love Athletic Greens here. One delicious scoop of AG1, and you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole foods, source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right, just like Nick mentioned. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, the energy that you have throughout the day, folks, recovery, focus, aging, all of these things with one scoop just one scoop nick of ag1 uh listen folks right now it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition no need for these different pills and supplements that you're looking out for your health you don't need that athletic greens has got you covered and by the way to make it easy for being a listener of can we please talk athletic greens is going to give you a free one year supply of immune supporting vitamin d and five free travel packs with your first purchase all you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash emerging, E-M-E-R-G-I-N-G. Again, athleticgreens.com backslash emerging. You don't want to go to that? Click the link in our show notes. That'll take you right to there. It's time to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right, Aaron Hamlin, the executive director for the Center for Election Science joins us here. You can check out all of their work at electionscience.org. He's going to take us inside everything that they're doing over there. Aaron, Mike Leon, Nick Saveri, thank you so much for hopping on the podcast with us today. Thank you, it's a pleasure. Aaron, um, I was telling you a little bit off air about you know what this show is about: informing, educating, learning things at a base level. Um, we got connected through a, a mutual contact, and I wanted to find out more about what you guys are doing at ElectionScience.org, how it works. You know, right now voting. And it's such a hot button topic. You know, there's a faction of people out there that think an election was stolen based on no scientific facts or legal arguments. And I would love to learn a little bit more about your organization and its aims to help in this fight for democracy. Can you take our audience into what you guys are doing over at electionscience.org?
5: Yeah, we definitely take a different approach. Uh, So we look directly at the voting method, the, the very tool that we use to vote. Um, so what, what's interesting here is uh, we we get these rare opportunities during elections where we just can't be ignored, um, and yet during these rare opportunities, we find that we have this really terrible tool to express ourselves, and that tool is our choose-one voting method, and it causes all kinds of issues with Vote splitting and not being able to actually support the candidates that we like. And so, what we've done after a lot of reflecting on this problem uh, is advocating for a different approach. Um, So, instead of choosing just one candidate, uh, we've done research on and have begun advocating for a method that allows you to select as many candidates as you want. You're not ranking or anything complicated, just checking off as many names as you want, and the candidate with the most votes wins. This simple change. Uh, addresses the vote splitting problem. So if there are multiple candidates that you like, particularly in a primary, um, you can support multiple of those candidates. If there's a candidate that you don't think he's going to win, but you like their ideas, you can still support them. And if you want to have a say in the outcome, if you're unsure, um, you can support a front runner uh, that you are satisfied with as well. Um, So it really takes this very rare instance where we can't be ignored and It really is important, as we all know, because we have these folks in office who um, pass laws that govern our day to day lives and spend like these enormous amounts of tax dollars. And so we want them to be in our interest. And so we take this instance where uh, it's really important for us to be able to have an effective tool. And we work with the local communities to make sure that they have that tool.
3: Aaron full disclosure as soon as uh, Mike had mentioned you were coming on the show and I got a chance to read up on on the work that your organization's doing I dove into one of your papers specifically around 2016 which was mind-blowingly interesting now Mike of course rained me and said nerd out only so much so I will I will keep my keep my We got a bunch we got we a bunch of there. questions coming on good uh, well you know Aaron as you were just getting into models um, one thing I wanted to just ask you here is you know just for a literacy moment on our show you know, In one of the papers you wrote, there there were a couple of different models that were expressed. Approval voting, range voting, instant runoff voting. Mm -hmm. What are those terms? How do they all differ? And how do they compare with the way our our current system of elections
5: operate in the US? Cool. So I'm I'm happy to talk about those different methods. Also happy to uh, nerd out on that particular study. I did the design for that, for the research methodology. So I'm particularly proud of that since it's one of the... uh, perhaps the first paper that introduced a control measure when comparing different voting methods. Uh, But when we're talking about voting methods, I think um, what's, what's interesting here is like, say you go out on the street and you ask someone like, okay, well, what's a, what's a voting method? Um, I think a lot of them would say like, well, you choose one candidate and the candidate with the most votes wins. Um, But that's just an example of a voting method. That's our choose one voting method that we're very used to. A voting method has, multiple components. Uh, One is the expression element, um, and that can be done in all kinds of ways. And then you take that information and you um, throw a calculation process on that. And then you use that calculation process to show results and use those results to um, choose uh, a particular candidate that's that's elected. And with uh, the expression element, um, so in the study, we looked at multiple different methods um, one of them was instant runoff voting, commonly in the U.S. referred to as ranked choice voting. Uh, there you have a ranking process, uh, which is also why, because that one I think is a little bit more well-known at the moment, I often have to say like, hey, uh, approval voting, what we're working on, you're just like kind of checking as many as you want. You're not ranking. Um, so approval voting and uh, instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting is are, are, are very different. Um, and it's also important to know that there's actually a whole class of systems called ordinal systems that involve ranking. Uh, instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting is just one of those. Um, so you have this ranking process that, you, that as a voter you use for your expressing to say how you think about these candidates. And then it uses a kind of iterative runoff procedure where you look to see who has the most first choice uh, votes for a particular candidate. Um, and if that candidate has more than half of the first choice votes out of the active ballots, then that candidate wins. If not, you look at the candidate as the fewest first choice votes and you look, uh, you eliminate that candidate, look at their next choice preferences and um, now treat them as first choice preferences. And you keep retabulating to see, OK, does someone have more than half of the first choice votes? If not, you keep going through that process of eliminating candidates and transferring their, their ballots. Um, sometimes ballots get exhausted along the way, so you're just looking at the remaining ballots. So um, the when when it comes up with a majority, it's really a bit of a contrived majority in that it's looking at the active ballots and, and not the exhausted ones. Um, so that's instant runoff voting. Um, there's also approval uh, voting, which we just described before. Check as many candidates off as you like. Most votes wins. And then there's um, score voting, which is the other one. And that one has uh, voters, Uh, score candidates on a scale, uh, say, zero to five. Like imagine like on IMDB when you see these uh, movie scores, kind of like that when the scale is zero to five, and then the candidate with the highest score um, wins. And the other cool thing that we did there uh, was we had an honest control measure, uh, which we said, hey, uh, what we want you to do now is uh, tell us how much you want this particular candidate to win and we want you to be honest about it. Just tell us on a scale of zero to five so we can have this honest control measure and look at the discrepancy between that honest control measure and these different voting methods to see how well they're measuring candidate support, which is, after all, a voting method's job. It's really a measurement instrument to figure out and aggregate uh, what an electorate thinks about these particular candidates. And so we can see how close the voting method does to actually measuring what is really there
2: Aaron, you know one of the things Nick was mentioning in your paper before um, and there were some different voting experiments that were being conducted in some other countries that I thought was fascinating. Can you share and elaborate on some of that of in terms of like what is happening in other countries from some of the experiments that are mentioned
5: yeah. um, some of the references in, in uh, the article look mostly at print studies so one of our co-authors um, well two of our co-authors uh, uh, Jean-Francois Lassier and uh, Harad Igersheim, um, they'd both uh, been authors of uh, papers that focus on a lot of French studies. And in those, they looked at other um, particular voting methods, uh, largely approval voting. Um, and, and they were looking at this in the context of uh, French presidential elections, which use a, uh, this choose one system for the first round, and then the top two candidates uh, go on to the, to the next round. Um, and most of those are done in France. There's one study referenced in the, um, article, I believe that was referencing a, uh, German study. Um, and one thing that's interesting about this, when we look at, I think this is kind of like the typical way that these are looked at, which is, does it change the result? Um, so I think that's what a lot of people think about when they think about these things with comparing voting methods. I think it's only part of the picture. Um, but In the past, probably the most interesting one, I think it was the 2002 French election. um, There was uh, Sarkozy and Baru was two of the candidates. And while Sarkozy won in that election, having made it to the runoff, uh, Baru, under approval voting, actually had um, more support. And so under approval voting, Baru was the Mm -hmm. the likely uh, winner there. And he was more of a Moderate consensus style candidate, as uh, as opposed to uh, Sarkozy, um, and so while you don't always see a difference in, in winner, you can it can come up. Um, but the other thing a voting method does, which would I would say correlate well with winner selection, is doing an accurate job of measuring each of those candidates' support.
3: Aaron, something that came up in in the paper you wrote was uh, what had been going on a couple of states in the US, you know, specifically in Maine and Alaska, 2017, and 2020, respectively, um, that they had started to adopt just variants of ranked choice voting. In your in your findings from that work, what was coming up for all of you on the research side of different states conducting these different experiments? And is there a larger discussion about the interest or and or desire of the US to rethink the way the way our current systems of voting operate? Well,
5: I think now there are a lot of organizations out there who are very interested in pushing this forward. Um, so there are a number of organizations that have uh, begun to push ranked choice voting. Um, like one in particular has been around for 30 years. So it's also like comparatively, approval voting is newer to the game in terms of advocacy. So for instance, like the Center for Election Science, we're um, really the main organization that advances approval voting. And we didn't get real funding as an organization until 2018. So um, the wins that we've seen as we begin to pivot into states have only been um, fewer than five years in terms of our our, uh, activity. Um, But uh, we do have kind of a model that we have seen as kind of a second mover in the system where we can see how ranked choice voting, for instance, has played out. And what, uh, what things it's done well in terms of getting implemented, what challenges it's had. Um, and the other thing is we get to see how it kind of shakes out in practice as well, which is interesting.
3: As you mentioned, in shaking out in practice, what, is been, what have been the results that you've seen?
5: Um, so I think one component um, is in a lot of elections, you don't see um, a big difference unless there are a bunch of candidates that, that are running. Um, and one thing that we can see empirically is that um, it doesn't always do as a good of a job in terms of measuring candidate support, out, particularly outside of the, the winner. And one way that we can see that, for instance, is particularly with third parties and independents. And so, a, as an example, for the uh, 2020 presidential election, Maine got to, the, the folks in Maine got to use ranked choice voting. Um, to vote for uh, president. And one of the things that I I think a lot of the the rhetoric would try to push is like, well, this is going to help third parties a lot. But when you look at how third parties did in 2020 uh, for the ranked choice uh, voting um, election, and you can all look this up on Ballotpedia, um, it didn't really do any different than it normally does for those candidates, for instance, the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. And Maine is a pretty independent state. Um, and so we would expect that um, if like, kind of like these talking points uh, had uh, more traction, like in terms of on, in, in practice, uh, we would see more of that. And that's something common that we see, like when we study this empirically and we ask people through polling, for example, we ask how they would vote in different voting methods. It's really the same thing. And part of it is like ranking candidates while it feels like you're providing a lot of information really does not provide the same kind of information as with other methods like approval. Uh, for one, you don't really get to see um, whether candidate, whether voters actually support that candidate. So their threshold of whether they actually like that candidate, it's gonna vary from uh, individual to individual. Whereas with approval voting, every time you see support for a candidate, you know all the voters who voted for that candidate actually supported that candidate. And the other component is, um, unlike with ranked choice voting, with approval voting, all the information is out on the table, whereas with ranked choice voting, this uh, calculation process that's turning in the background, it's not looking at all the information at once and, in fact, can ignore a lot of information. And as a consequence, um, uh, when a candidate is ignored, is like eliminated early on, which is common for third parties... Uh, any voter who ranked that third party as maybe a second or third choice uh, pick, um, all that information is gone. It's, it's ignored uh, once uh, uh, because those, can, those candidates that rank them as say second or third, that information never shows up because those candidates, um, those, those other candidates are eliminated later or not eliminated at all. And so that information just never pops up. And so when you're looking at these results, you just never see that support for third parties and independents Um, with ranked choice voting the way that you can see with approval voting. And you're seeing that now in practice in Maine.
2: Aaron, um, we alluded to it earlier about nerding out on 2016. uh, And your paper stated that Bernie Sanders, speaking of primaries in 2016, would have won based on all the standard criteria computed on individual preferences. Can you for For people out there without relitigating everything that happened in 2016 and 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 the extenuating circumstances around the DNC, um, can you explain for people what that means in terms of the models and predictions that you guys did as to why Bernie would have won uh, in 2016? Yeah
5: so with uh, with the particular experiment that we did, um, we had we did one part where we had one set of respondents, and we asked them okay, here are four candidates. And we gave them uh, Trump, Clinton, Joe Stein, and Gary Johnson. And we said, here's a bunch of voting methods. Tell us what you think about these candidates with each of these voting methods and this honest assessment scale. Um, And then for another group, we took uh, really a larger um, composite of of candidates. Uh, We had those four, um, plus uh, some of Republicans who were... um, in the primary, and we took some other uh, Democrats who were in the primary, including Sanders. Um, and with uh, when we added all of those together, we did the same thing. We said, "Okay, well, go ahead and tell us what you think about all of these candidates using uh, each of these different voting methods, and also fill out this honest assessment scale for each of these candidates as well." So that's the, the context. And so we're here. We're talking about that latter group where we had this big pool of candidates that. Um, um, that Sanders was in. And when we did that, we saw that uh, Clinton uh, was able to uh, win under plurality voting um, and win under um, ranked choice voting. And it was really a statistical tie be- on, under approval voting between uh, Clinton and Sanders. And, and so looking at this, and also this is the kind of question that made me think early on, which is like okay, well, we're comparing voting methods. I mean, sometimes you get different results. Sometimes, like they measure candidates differently. What's what's really right here? And so uh, that's why we added this control measure and say like, hey, tell us how you really feel, um, and you don't have to worry about strategic voting. Just we just want you to tell us how you feel. And when we did that, we saw that uh, Sanders uh, was uh, uh, was the most. supported candidate out of all the candidates using this honest control measure. And so Sanders in this kind of crowded field was the, the best candidate according to this control measure at this point in time.
3: Aaron, beyond we talked about some states, you know, that have done some experimental things, and ex- shout out to Maine, you know, for rethinking this a lot. Um, has your organization brought these findings to elected officials, to other organizations? Like, how? Where are you all with the momentum for this conversation? Because it's as you mentioned, it's not just your organization, but others have been raising awareness of our system that there's an opportunity for it to evolve. What has been the momentum on your side about just bringing this um, to just other audiences, particularly possibly Congress?
5: So I think one of the challenges we had early on was, we spent our early days when we didn't have funds um, being agnostic about the voting method. And we said like, okay, well, we really need to think about this before we put a lot of energy going forward And we had to think about like, okay, well, what makes a voting method good? And we would look at things like, okay, well, really there are three factors there. There's winner selection. There's how accurately a voting method measures support for each individual candidate, including once you don't win. And then the other uh, part of thinking about practicality. So uh, how complicated is the method? How hard is it to actually implement? And it was during those early days that we use those types of criteria to to move and say, okay, well, approval voting really makes a lot of sense. The challenge with that was, unlike some other methods, approval voting hadn't really been used outside of academia. And so we had to uh, uh, show really a proof of concept, replicate that, and then begin to scale at the same time. And so uh, our initial, I would say, skepticism um, that we were Uh, getting uh, externally was from, okay, well, this method really isn't, hasn't been used anywhere. And so in 2018, um, actually it started a little bit before then, but in in 2018, um, we worked with a local group in Fargo, North Dakota, and that's really where we started to see how all this shook out in practice. And there, uh, the commission in Fargo was really kind of getting embarrassed because they were having winners win with like just a fraction of support, nothing even approaching a mandate for folks who were making it on, con- on the commission, including with the, the mayor. And so uh, they created a task force, the task force, one of the members came out to us and said like, hey, uh, we've got this issue and uh, I know you focus on approval voting. And so we, uh, he went and took that back to the task force got them on board and said, okay, well, we, we're going to recommend this to the commission. And the commission just sat on their hands with that recommendation. And what happened in practice was uh, they were just frustrated. It's like, okay, well, uh, we're not going to let the commission get away with this. And so they just put it on the ballot and it passed by 63%.
2: Um, Aaron, before we let you go, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast. I wanted to, before you were hopping on, you heard Nick and I talking before we started recording this. And I was asking Nick a question. He said, let's bring that over to here. So I'm going to play devil's advocate here uh, of a novice who doesn't understand voting methods and why this is important. And all I did was, I'm going to use myself as an example because I hate speaking in generalities. So in 2016, I didn't vote. I live in a blue state that's, you know, uh, went in one direction for Hillary. So my vote really did not matter in terms of you know, how the Electoral College counts for those states, right? I think anybody who is a red voter in a blue state and vice versa, a blue voter in a perennial red state, uh, voter turnout is low. And we saw that in the general in 2016. In 2020, however, we saw more voter turnout, right? I'll take myself again as the example. I went out and voted, right? And voted for the current president of the United States, President Biden, and then down ballot for everybody else. But I was in a red state that is border, sometimes blue, sometimes red. So I, I say all of that as context. Um, explain to me, if you can, why our voting system is so broken. Uh, you're, you're mentioning voting methods, but I'm looking at the totality of apathy during voter turnout. Um, there are certain factors, candidates weigh into that as well. Why is our system so broken? I see other countries give ele- you know, election day, a day off, a week off there's certain mitigating factors around all of that but in your estimation with all the research you guys have done why is our election systems broken where there's a faction of people that believe that it's rigged and then on the flip side how can election science as a final message to the people listening to this how can election science help maybe not with some of the things that i've outlined but help the overall in putting back trust into our election voting methods and process
5: Well, I mean, a lot of other countries that have better turnout, uh, many of them have other voting methods that don't cause people to waste their vote. Many of them use proportional methods, for instance, where um, they can support a a particular party and that party is much more likely to get elected, even if they're not like one of the two most popular parties. What uh, we're looking at now within the U.S. is that a lot of times people get Um, a poor selection of candidates because people just don't want to go through the arduous process of of losing and then getting completely dismissed. And also, like, we just have a poor uh, tool as well. Like I I mentioned before, like we have this very critical point where uh, we can't be ignored, and yet we're given the crappiest tool possible to shout our our voice. Uh, And so in terms of, like, what we can do, uh, we are working to expand what we've done so far. So not only was there that 63% win in uh, Fargo, um, which is 120,000 people, we replicated that in St. Louis, 300,000 people passed uh, by 68% there. Uh, We're working with folks in Seattle right now, three quarters of a million people. It's polling at 70%, so it will likely pass in November. And we're getting ready to move into states. And when we move into states, the same way that uh, happened with ranked choice voting, we're going to see approval voting being used for um, federal elections, including for U.S. presidents. So say you're in a state that really doesn't swing uh, either way. It's just the same as it always is. Right now you have a disincentive because you can say like, okay, well, my vote is not going to be very meaningful um, because it's not going to change the outcome, but there's something else that you can do with with your vote under approval voting. And that's not just, um, vote for among the people who are more likely to win but you can also support make support for other additional candidates so right now we have this really this real atrocity where anyone else besides a Democrat or a Republican um, whether it be like an independent or a third party they get completely marginalized when when they run and a lot of people don't run because they don't want to be marginalized they don't want to be treated poorly um, and often like not even invited to debates um, and the reason for that is because we have this terrible tool that doesn't allow us to articulate support, particularly collectively, uh, for candidates. And as a consequence, we get marginalized every time. And so what we offer as an organization at the Center for Production Sciences is to give people agency, finally, so that they can express themselves. And when they hear good ideas out there, be able to say in a meaningful way, I support these ideas so that those ideas are not marginalized in the way they've been for a long time, and also uh, not allowing uh, some of the uh, major parties to ignore issues um, that really deserve more attention. And so when you have an independent, say, that speaks to a cause that you care about, now you can support that independent, um, and other people can support them too, and they won't be marginalized the same way.
2: Well said. Uh, Aaron Hamlin is the executive director at the Center for Election Science. You can check out everything they're doing at electionscience.org. I would echo this. I'm sure Aaron will echo this as well. Doesn't matter. Get out there and vote. Uh, Come midterms, whenever it is, uh, get out there and exercise your right to vote. Aaron, I can't thank you enough for coming on the podcast today. Continue success to you, my friend, and stay safe. Thank you.
0: Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work.
2: Nick, the summertime is approaching. People start moving out of their houses, whether it's renters or people buying a new home. You know what they're gonna need, Nick, by any chance? Aside from movers, boxes. Exactly. And how fortunate, you come to the We Please Talk podcast, you want a discount on something, our sponsor, usecardboardboxes.com, is the best way for you to get easy boxes shipped to you with all the supplies that you need, to make that move very smooth. For medium, large, extra large boxes, whatever size, room, house you have, you can go on their website, click on our show notes page right now. There's a link there for usecardboardboxes.com. You enter in the kit that you wanna purchase, and then at checkout, you enter in the promo code, new customer, all one word, new customer. You're gonna get 5% off of that purchase. Head to usecardboardboxes.com today. All right, Nick, it's time for a new game on this program. Uh, I thought of this the other day, and you and I are big fans of PTI, which is, pardon your interruption, on ESPN, a sports show where two guys give takes for about a minute, minute and a half about something happening at sports. Sometimes they're diametrically opposed to each other. Sometimes they agree with each other. It's not supposed to be a debate show. It's more of a conversation. Nick, it's time for some hot takes. hot takes. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. But first, before we do that, I'm going to give a preface on the topic. So I'm going to explain everything that's happening with the topic. You're going to go first, your 60 seconds. You'll get buzzed. So once the buzzer goes, you can get in those last few words. Uh, One of the favorite things I love to do here is cut you off. People don't see that off that are listening to this podcast. Uh, So we're going to have a buzzer cut you off. And then then I will give 60 seconds, not so much of a retort, but just my takes on it. Okay. The first topic is about what happened last week in the chambers of Congress. The House of Representatives, Nick, last week passed three critical bills basically almost everyone along voted along party lines. A few Republicans voted on a couple of the bills. But let me read the three bills specifically. The, the domestic terrorism bill that was passed in the House, mostly on a party line vote. There was a bill on gasoline price gouging. And then there was a bill to address the baby formula shortage that's happening in this country. The baby formula shortage uh, passed 231 to, 90, to 192, 12 Republicans voted for that in the House. You had the um, Domestic Terrorism Prevention Act. That passed in a 222 to 203 vote. Only one Republican, Adam Kinzinger, uh, he voted for that bill. And then the last bill, like I mentioned, a price gouging bill for gasoline, right? To reduce the, the, the amount of gas, the, the amount that gas prices are costing in this country, 217 to 207, no, Repu- no Republicans. No, voted for it. And actually four Democrats voted against it. Funny enough, Stephanie Murphy from Florida, Lizzie Fletcher out of Texas, Kathleen Rice from New York, and Jared Golden from Maine. So that's a little weird in itself, but just want to give that context. So you had f- three bills last week okay, to address some of the major issues that are happening in President Biden's first term here in office. All right, Nick, I gave you that context on the three bills and no, barely no Republican support For all of those bills, let's put 60 seconds on the clock. 60 seconds start now. Give me your takes on those three bills. You know, one of the dangerous
3: things about this type of conversation is that we often hear sort of the highlights of the bill, but there's pieces underneath. That sometimes prompt people to not vote the way they do. Um, you know, with regards to the domestic terrorism bill, uh, this is, um, I believe, it's HR 350. And the summary basically speaks to the fact that domestic terrorism can further be investigated by uh, Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice, and the FBI. Uh, and it just gives more clear guidelines uh, for GOP to vote against it. Basically, is another it's code for we don't want federal intervention. You know, in in this. Go, um, as it govern, as we locally govern, which oftentimes is code for states' rights. Um, but the big headline of not voting for price gouging for gas companies, and in the end, you mentioned about the um, formula. You know, the defensive um, what Biden's act puts forward basically puts this forward into to go into existence anyway. So very telling. Yeah. 60 seconds. He came in under. I
2: don't, I I mean, there you go. That was very fast. Okay. Uh, We're going to give 60 seconds to me real quick. So, I mean, listen, three bills that really address what is happening right now. Everything that's top of mind on the news segments all across the country, baby formula, not being able to feed your kids. We talked about how there are mothers out there that can't breastfeed. We talked about how mothers lose their supply when they go back to work, the ones that are breastfeeding, and then they switch over to formula. To, for for nobody, for, for only 12 Republicans to vote for that bill and what it would have addressed in that bill in terms of helping with this shortage that is happening is embarrassing. You all have a wife, a girlfriend, or, or you all have kids, or you know people that have kids that need this kind of stuff. The domestic terrorism one is the one that got me the most mad. The fact that only Adam Kinzinger was the only person to vote for that after seeing another shooting, we talked about it. This vicious cycle, nobody gives a crap, and we keep we keep seeing this circle going uh, round and round. Nobody cares. It's uh, time is up, but I am so annoyed that these three bills got very little support and they got support on the Republican side from the ones that you expect. But it it just shows that one party is and, and this is politics, right? Because if the situation was reversed, how many Democrats would actually vote for some of these bills themselves? I don't know. Can't play the hypothetical game. All right. Let's move to our next topic. I went over there, Nick. So you came under. Great job by you. You get to start again. All right. The second topic, Nick, for the people that may have not paid attention to this, this caught my eye last week and wanted to bring this over to our forum here. If you don't know what I'm talking about right now, about this doctor that went on the Senate floor and Representative Mike Johnson from New Orleans, excuse me, from Louisiana, talking to Dr. Yashika Robinson. okay? Dr. Yashika Robinson is an obstetrician gynecologist based in Huntsville, Alabama. Okay, they're talking about whether she supports the right of a woman who is seconds away from birthing a healthy child, a healthy child to terminate a pregnancy. Take a listen to this clip. And then, Nick, you and I are going to give our takes on this idiot.
6: Do you support the right of a woman who is just seconds away from birthing a healthy child to have an abortion?
1: I think that the question that you're asking asking does not realistically reflect abortion care. In that scenario, would you
6: would you support her right to abort that child?
1: I won't entertain theoreticals. It's not a theoretical, ma'am. You're
6: a medical doctor.
1: I am a medical doctor, and that has never happened.
6: Never happened in your practice, ma'am. But it, it happens. How about if a child is halfway out of the birth canal? Is an abortion permissible then?
1: Can you repeat your question? If a
6: child is halfway delivered out of the birth canal. Is it permissible to have an abortion? Would you support the right for an abortion then?
1: I can't even fathom that ever. I'm not
6: asking time. you if you can fathom it. If it occurred, would you support that abortion or not? That's I unrestricted can't abortion, answer right? I can a
1: question that I can't imagine. Just like you probably can't imagine what you would do if your daughter was raped. If it hasn't happened, it may be okay. difficult for you Okay, You're not going to answer, answer this question,
6: question, but how about this one? How does one qualify as fully human? What makes a human
2: being?
1: What makes a person a human being is right. them being born, number one. That's why oh. we have birthdays.
2: Okay. <laughs> Nick, I'm laughing, but that that was one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. 60 seconds are on the clock for you.
3: Yeah, I may not even need to take the full time <laughs> here. Um,
2: the, guy a, the guy is
3: a moron, uh, an ass clown. Any, any word I'm going to use here, um, to use the most extreme example of something that almost never happens is bullshit. Uh, it is the argument that the far right likes to use about what extreme cases can necessitate an abortion to have a doctor there who is far more qualified to talk about when the advent of abortion typically will happen, but to not even give her space to talk about it because you want to put forward these fantasy <laughs> fantasy scenarios that almost never happen to make the argument that in that situation, am I good with abortion? Go to the hell. Seriously. How are you an elected official but you know what not just to that moron to any bozo who voted for that person you're an embarrassment i can't believe you'd actually sit there and ask that question
2: all right nick doing a great job again getting in way before the buzzer um listen i don't need 60 seconds either i heard that exchange and i couldn't believe that and again it goes back to your larger point right you push back ask him to give you an example I think the one thing that I've been telling people about that exchange with the doctor is the doctor said, I can't imagine the scenario just like, and she went to your daughter being raped, et cetera, et cetera. That's not the way you push back. The way you push back there is, can you cite for me where in this country over the last 30 years, there's been an abortion at a full-term pregnancy as somebody is coming out of the operating room? That has never happened in this country's history. I don't know where he is getting that statistic from. He didn't even give a statistic. That's the problem. We're not pushing back the right way. She is a qualified medical doctor. Maybe she didn't expect uh, an insane question like that. But the problem is you're coming into these hearings. You're going to get an insane question like that. You need to be able to push back better. The, The only thing I'm mad about, obviously, besides the absurdity of that stupid scenario that he gave is the pushback. The pushback should be, dude, show me where a full term pregnancy they decided to perform an abortion as a a baby's coming out of the birth canal that is the stupidest thing i've ever heard in my freaking life okay i yield back my time uh we're fired up here though we're doing pretty good nick Uh, we're getting in under the buzzer uh but the buzzer is subjective so all right nick third segment here utah jazz legend john stockton but legend is going to be a strong word after this segment. Uh, if you don't know what I'm talking about, former Utah Jazz star John Stockton, who played point guard for the Jazz for a long time, took them to two NBA finals with his uh, cohorts and Jeff Hornacek and, and Karl Malone. And they lost to Michael Jordan a couple of times in the NBA finals. He recently wrote a letter of support for a January 6th Capitol rioter. Okay, Court records show that the Jazz star, he sent a letter on support of behalf of this Kaysville woman who pled guilty to charges connected to the U.S. Capitol riot. He submitted the letter in federal court in Washington, D.C. She pled guilty. This is uh, Janet Bueller is the lady's name. She pled guilty in January to a misdemeanor court of parading, demonstrating or picketing inside a Capitol building. She was originally charged with five misdemeanors. The other charges were all dropped as part of a plea deal. Stockton wrote this letter as one of 25 of Bueller's family and friends, each describing their relationship with her. He lives in Spokane, Washington now. He said that he's known her for 17 years. She married the Jazz's team chiropractor, who was one of his closest friends. And so he, he wrote this letter really just advocating for her to not get a full sentence. OK, the plea deal was almost not accepted after she told the judge, that she cheered and applauded the people who stormed the U.S. Capitol, said she hadn't noticed any barricades. If you aren't familiar with what happened on January 6th, there were tons of barricades everywhere, all around the Capitol. <laughs> According to a report, uh, she later acknowledged she knew she wasn't supposed to be in the Capitol that day. Nick, 60 seconds on the clock. A, an errant pass from John Stockton, uh, one of the uh, all-time leaders in <laughs> NBA assists, Give me your takes on this man writing a letter of support for a capital writer.
3: Yeah, let's take a look at some of the things that Stockner wrote. Um, I haven't heard her raise her voice or confront anyone. In fact, she's quite reserved. She's intelligent and good company. I frankly cannot imagine that Janet could knowingly break the law nor be involved in anything destructive. She's one of the kindest people I've ever known. She spent a lifetime helping her family. You know what you know what Stockton left out of that letter? She stormed the Capitol building. Stop this shit. It's mad with matter with them. But should I expect anything better from the same idiot who, who claimed athletes were dying because of the COVID vaccine? Uh, you know, once you have people who are geniuses in the things that they do, John Stockton is arguably one of the best point guards in the
2: history of the league. On this one, he could sit this out. Damn, I'm so glad Jordan won those two rings. And time again, Nick, Nick, again, an arbitrary buzzer, folks, if you're not uh, paying attention here. Um, Good one. All right. Let's start the clock for me, please. Um, Listen, this is going to be real fast. Okay. John Stockton. Listen, what have we talked about a bunch of times on this show? When companies release statements, and you know, it's like a statement that you didn't need to hear from that company. You're like, I never really thought about how the Knicks felt about Black Lives Mattering. You know, like I, I didn't need that statement from them. Same thing here. I didn't need to, I didn't need John Stockton to give support for a Capital Rider. Like I didn't need to know about this. But now that I know about it, it, it this is happening in everyone's life. Everybody right now listening to this program, think about the people that you know in your life that over the course of the pandemic have radically changed. I've talked about it a bunch on, on in terms of my personal life. Think about uh, when we had Ayman Mohideen on this program talking about the people in his life right? The, the, and the basis for his American Radical series. John Stockton was idolized in this country, and he was always seen as a good guy and and doing the right things. In the last year and a half, this guy says the vaccine causes people to die. And he said he's show support for a capital Rider. I mean, talk about oof. anyway. All right. My time is up there. Now we go to our last segment. And this one is going to need a little explaining because for the people that don't listen to uh, or don't follow sports, you may not know all about what happened last week, but it does tie in a little bit to politics. Let me explain. Uh, Nick Saban, the head coach at the University of Alabama, had a recent feud with Jimbo Fisher, who's the head coach of Texas A&M University. Okay, now, if you don't know, back in the summer of last year, the Supreme Court voted nine nothing to uh, allow college athletes to profit off of their name, image, and likeness. It is now the new nil. It went into effect in July 1st. The NCAA really hasn't done any regulation around it. But what does it mean for schools? Before college athletes could not get paid by the school, or couldn't get any money for their name, image, and likeness, meaning their jerseys that have their numbers that are sold in the team stores, they get no money off of it, right? They get no percentage of any of the TV dollars, et cetera, et cetera. They get a scholarship, which covers their room and board and their cost of living. And some schools get stipends that they can give out monthly, but they can't take a job while they're working, et cetera, et cetera. Now the rules have changed dramatically. Now athletes can go out there and make money, and they can profit off of the amount of social media followers they have, et cetera, et cetera, by pitching to brands why they should be the face of that. We have seen a bunch in the media space play out of different players from different schools getting six figure deals just to sign with that school because a company has stepped in and said, I will, you know, uh, pay that young man or gal to, to come to this university. So, Nick Saban. Is, has had enough. Uh, he has always had the number one recruiting class in America when it comes to college football. This past offseason, he was bested by Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. So here's a little bit of the exchange of what Nick Saban said and then what Jimbo Fisher said back to him.
6: You've read about them. You know who they are. I mean, we were second in recruiting last year. A&M was first. A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, and likeness. Right? We didn't buy one player. All right, but I don't know if we're going to be able to sustain that in the future because more and more people are doing it.
4: It's despicable that somebody can say things about somebody and an organization. More importantly, 17-year-old kids. You're taking shots at 17-year-old kids and their families. They broke state laws. They're, they're, they're all money. We bought every player on this group. We never bought anybody. No rules were broken. Nothing was done wrong. It was all in the, and the way we do things, the ethics in which we do things, and these families, it's despicable that a reputable head coach could come out and say this. And it's personal to us, yes it is. It's personal to A&M, it's personal to our players, it's personal to our coaches and everybody involved. And I know the guy. I know him really well. It's amazing that we're allowed to do those things. It's really despicable. And I, and I hate it. For our players who are coming here, who did things the right way, have done things the right way, and will continue to do things the right way, I apologize to you that people insult you publicly the way they're doing it.
2: All right, Nick. So you heard a little bit there of what took place between them. I'm going to go first on this one because I want to go first because I want you stealing some of my thunder here. All right. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. All right. Listen, these two coached together. Obviously, they won a national title together at LSU. Jimbo Fisher uh, then went to Florida State, and then he ended up going to Texas A&M. Now they're rivals in this conference. Here's the problem I have. Okay. For years, years, college athletes have always been getting money under the table, okay? Any perennial powerhouse school has always had instances where players have tried to profit off of this. Now what's happening is, is that the NCAA is not governing this. They're not reining it in, in terms of how schools can do this. Schools are not supposed to help the athlete get paid off their name, image, and likeness. So when you heard Nick Saban, there saying that uh, the the Texas A&M is paying all their players. He's saying that the school is directly doing this, right? He's accusing them of doing something. The problem is for decades in the middle of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, I don't know if you've ever been there, Nick. It's not that great. Uh, in the middle of that, he is saying that some of the best athletes in the world want to come to his school just to play for him. And he's accusing Texas A&M now of doing the same thing. It's the pot calling the kettle black. And Nick Saban should probably just shut him. I yield back my time. Nick Savary, 60 seconds for you on the clock. Give me a little bit of why Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban are yelling at each other. And it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme. <laughs> Yeah, actually, that's kind of where I was going to go there. Um, First, Nick,
3: you're doing all the Knicks in the world, like myself, who are a big fan of yours. A disservice. Um, You sound like you are the number two recruiting class in the country. Um, You can grow up, you know, for a team whose quarterback, most notably in Bryce Young, has a one million dollar NIL deal. You look foolish talking about Jimbo's program, and it looks especially petty when Jimbo's program beat you last year. So, stop with this, um, you know. And the now knows the little word trick though, because Saban says, you know, A and M bought all their players, right? We didn't, we didn't buy any. Or no, he said they signed all nil deals. We didn't buy any players. He's interspersing these two terms, and that's a really dangerous thing because nil is not about the school; it's what the student is able to bargain or make deals with with companies. There's a lot of speculation right now as to you know, what the role of the schools are and whether these schools are getting directly involved. What Sabrin basically does is says that A&M is heading this up, and that's wrong, and and wrong, both ethically and uh, that's actually not the case with what's happening over at
2: College Park. Yeah. You know, one of the College things Station. that we- Yeah, I was going to say, not College Park. That's Maryland. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention there was uh, he actually walked the comments back uh, recently, tried to apologize, texted- Uh, Jimbo Fisher, like I mentioned, they work together. Uh, Jimbo has denied those phone calls or or at least not denied the text messages. He's not answering that. He also accused Deion Sanders of doing this, the head coach over at Jackson State, of getting this four-star recruit. Uh, one of the top cornerbacks in the country to come play for him saying that he gave him a million dollars and Deion Sanders addressed that in a press conference Uh, the SEC reprimanded both coaches because you're not allowed to speak about other schools recruiting classes and since both of them mentioned it in their press conferences the SEC reprimanded and fined both of them Nick first first uh, round of hot takes how do you you think we did there as we as we head to our sign off here Uh, well um, you know full disclosure I the
3: Biggest feature I use in my Apple Watch is a timer. So I live in a world where I got to get things done uh, in you know moments and seconds. You know, a lot of Zoom meetings I'm in. You know, when you go into like breakout rooms and stuff, you're always looking at a clock. Uh, and also, I'm a proud graduated Connecticut School of Broadcasting. So I know that's how right. to stick the landing on an ad read. Um, that's why one of the reasons Mike cast me here. So it was <laughs> good. It. And it certainly did a good job of reining me in. You know, Obviously, I'm the one that tends to ramble more on this show. So it keeps me the 60 seconds is good discipline. So
2: yeah. I, I thought it was a hit. We'll, uh, well, we'll see what people say in the comments. Let's see. Email us. Can we please talk podcast at gmail.com. You've got a hot take about something. We love to read stuff on air. We've read some comments about this show on air. Speaking of comments, video, YouTube, you want to watch watch all the interviews some clips leave us comments on there we've read some of the ridiculous comments that have happened on YouTube but follow us on our YouTube channel can we please talk podcast audio podcast platforms Apple Spotify Google we're everywhere wherever you can leave us a five-star review and comment please it helps boost us up in terms of people's related and recommended uh a our hosting platform we couldn't do it without them we thank them each and every week and we thank each and every one of you For listening to this program i can't tell you how proud i am of the feedback we get from this program and i share it with nick Uh, as always i am mike leon and i'm nick saveri have a good one everybody we'll see you in a few weeks enjoy your memorial day weekend